0: Good morning, guys and gals. How's everybody doing? Great. Okay, one of you is doing good. You're right. Um, I want to take just a couple seconds. Um, this morning, like the Lord just it, it been just impressing on my heart and reminded me um, of just how much I love you guys. Um, every one of you. Uh, the nasty grams, like the... The uh, the good emails, the encouragement, like oh, like every single one of you, like, like I, I love you guys. There's only been like two or three nasty grams, um, but in, inside of that, guys, I, I want you to know like this is, earlier in, in the service, um, in the first service, I sat and and I just watched people worship, and the Lord led me into worship by watching you worship. Uh, this service, I sat here um, beside my bride, and we and, and we uh, sang together. Like there's this chaos going on. I've got one kid who's got to go out, and they got two who are wanting to go out and, 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 but even in that space of, of hearing us singing together the Lord just reminds my heart of how much I love you guys and you gals. Uh, this past week, uh, Ash and I we went to a, a network retreat. I, I'm a, uh, a pastor in a network of pastors um, that uh, once a year our network pulls us all back together and just kind of pours into us. Um, we kind of we get to share stories, we get to share ba- best practices with one another. Um, we get to talk about like our, our ups and downs and where we're encouraged and where we're struggling, where we where we need uh, um, just people to walk alongside of us and things to pray. For. And just a, a really good time. And we play together, like, really well when we're there. Ash and I, we get time together. No kids um, are, are in the picture. Y'all, like, we threw axes. Like we went axe throwing, and, and so anybody wants to send me a nastygram email, I just want you to know straight up, like I'm trained with the axe now. Um, I don't want to threaten you by any means, but if the shoe fits, um, no, like we like we went, and we threw axes, and that and that was fun, and uh, that was really good. But during our time together, there, there's a moment where uh, there's times where just just the pastors are together, and, and we're talking about what what our what our year is like, and. The things that we're struggling with, and, and one, and one of my uh, brothers, um, he's just struggling, and uh, doesn't know if he wants to keep doing it, right? Uh, He's had a really hard year and is just kind of walking through this, these kind of things of asking questions of where he's at and where the church is at and um, just really needed to be encouraged. And one of the things I asked him while we were together, uh, I said, do you still love him? I said, do, do you love the people that you're with? Because you can you can make it through a lot of garbage if if you love the people that you're getting to do ministry with alongside of in the ministry too. And so I said, do you, do you still love him? And uh, during our time, he just had to be honest, he said, I I don't know. I, I have to think about that. And the Lord used that time, I think, to challenge him, but he but he encouraged my heart in that time. That like, man, I, I'm just so in love with our congregation. Uh, I, I love you guys. I, get to, I love getting to do ministry with you and, and, and for um, the, the greater good of our body. I love Riverview. I love our community. And so I just want you to know the Lord has encouraged me several times over the past week about you specifically. And, and uh, I, just want, I just wanted to share that with you this morning. I don't know if you needed to hear it, but the Lord wanted me to say it. Um, and so uh, I'm going to pray. Father, thanks. Thanks that we get together this morning as a group of brothers and sisters in Christ who don't strive to earn perfection, who don't strive to earn our grace because we bask in the the truth and the reality that you've given us that if we have Christ. And so we're together this morning as brothers and sisters who want to grow, who want to hear from you, who want you to speak clearly to us, for you to challenge us where we need challenge, for you to encourage us where we need to be encouraged, and and we just want to feel your love uh, for us, Father. I want to pray for those who, who may not yet have trusted Christ and, and so the community of faith isn't, not, isn't yet their community. They're here and they're embracing and they're jumping in and they're looking to see, is this a place that I can belong? And I pray that today, March 1st, this, this new space of this year, God, that this might be the day where they step into a saving relationship with you and just walk in the newness of life with you and having their world changed now, but even eternally forever changed. And I pray that this, might be the day for them. Would you take our time together and would you encourage us and grow us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So, uh, I don't like to go slow um, at all. I don't know if anybody else likes to push the gas in your car or whatever it is that you're driving or with your feet. Like, right? I just don't like to go uh, slow very often. And Ashley and I, we travel uh, quite a bit, right? Our, uh, our family doesn't live close. My family's in Ohio. Hers is in Virginia. And so usually if we're going to be seeing family, we have, to, we have to drive. We got too many kids to fly anymore, so that just doesn't work. And so we drive. But inevitably, whenever we're driving somewhere, right? You're going 70 miles an hour down the highway. And then all of a sudden, we hit like this little town. Right? And then we go from 70 and all of a sudden we have to slow down to like 30 miles an hour. like, oh, are you kidding me? Like all I want to do is get through this town. I don't care about what's in this town. I just want to get from point A to point B as fast as I can. So let's just get through here so I can press the gas again. Anybody with me? Just like not liking to go through the small towns. Well... What's happened, like the Lord has challenged me on this over, uh, I don't know how long it's been, but just there was a point where we just could care less about the towns that we were driving through. Now, it's almost an adventure. Because if you've ever noticed, every time you're like speeding through one of these little towns, right, like you slow down, like you always slow down because there's a cop who's waiting for you um, from 70 to 30. We were talking in our teaching team meeting, and I said, it's like a speed trap. And uh, Sterling, our resident officer, said, no, it's not a speed trap. Like it's there to save your life. And it's there to protect the goodness of the people who live in that place, right? But every one of these small towns, if you slow down enough, you'll look around and and you'll see that there's goodness in that town. Every one of these little towns that you drive through, there's something unique that makes that little town special. Like whether it's like a, a little diner or a, a little boutique or uh, maybe it's like a little bit of history or something like that. There's always something unique about these little towns that say, this is who we are. This is what we're about. This is the thing. Like if you stop in here, you're going to know this about us. And uh, so, like, the Lord has kind of been challenging me in, in this, like, just to see the goodness and to slow down enough to see. What's this town about? And so we've we've found little dinosaur parks on our on our trips that we never would have known were there. We found like little historical spots that we never would have known were there. There's one place that we've actually stopped a couple of different times to, to to do a picnic, this this magnificent little park, and we're like, well, this is a place this is a great place to sit down and have a picnic together as we drive through. And and, and so you never if you if you never slow down enough, you miss the goodness of what's in those little towns. And so you slow down. One, one of the things that we've been doing here recently, we've been going through the book of Philippians. And as we go through the book of Philippians, we've been in a series called Living in Light of Eternity. And, and we've been looking at what does it look like to live as kingdom citizens who've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and been placed into the kingdom of light where, whereby we've become co-heirs with Christ, where we become citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And in this uh, time in Philippians, what Paul has been doing, he's been laying out this robust theology, right, of what it looks like um, to, to be a follower of Jesus what it looks like to live as a citizen and a kingdom of heaven, what it looks like to not consider your own interest. We we can be so uh, me-focused and and so myopic where we never look out to see what else is around us. And and so he shows us what it looks like to not consider your own interest, but to consider the interest of others. And we looked at what what does it look like to have our heartbeat match the heartbeat of the Father, right? We talked about to live as Christ and to die is gain. And we look at our lives as opportunities. opportunities to advance the gospel. as we're advancing the gospel, we don't just divorce our idea of, well, we push forward with the gospel and my life is disconnected with that. No, our lives are to be lived in a manner that's worthy of the gospel that we've been called to. And so this living in a manner worthy of the gospel, we said that the words that Paul used there is this is uh, what it looks like to live as king, It's it's kingdom citizenship lived out. And so this has been Paul's goal, right? To shift our minds away from ourselves, to not be so focused on on who we are, but to take our minds off of ourselves and to put them on the big picture. To live in the reality that we're part of something much bigger than ourselves. And everything that Paul has talked about, all this theology, all the talk about Jesus, all the talk about who we are in Christ and who he's made us to be, everything that he's laid out, none of it was intended to just stay in these noggins of ours None of it was intended to just to make our, our brains fatter and to us to be puffed up and to feel good about ourselves. And it wasn't meant for that to be the Philippians either. Everything that he's been talking about was intended to be lived out. If I'm talking about living as a kingdom citizen, then he's talking about, hey, live out this life as kingdom citizens. It wasn't intended to just stay here. And so in the text that we're going to look at today, if you, don't, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're in uh, verses 19 and following there. But the text that we're going to look at today, like it's like we've been going 70 miles an hour. Like, we, like Paul's been like, theology, theology, like just, just giving it to us. And we've been flying through this. And all of a sudden, Paul's like, hey, we're about to come to a 30-mile-an-hour 30 30 mile zone. We're about to come up to this little town that's full of all kinds of goodness. And I don't want you to blaze right through it. I want you to slow down long enough so you can enjoy the thing that we've been talking about. He's actually not even going to slow us down to 30 miles an hour. He's going to stop us here. He's like, he's going to stop us in this town. He's going to say, this is what I want you to focus on. He slows down and says, look around guys. I want you to see the beauty of what we've been talking about. I want you to see the beauty of what it looks like to live as a kingdom citizen. See, if you, you look over there, you're going to see this magnificent bakery, If you go into that bakery, there's going to be this bread. And if you put a little bit of butter on it and it's going to melt in your mouth, it's going to be the best thing that's ever touched your lips. If you go down the road a little bit, you're going to see this uh, little diner in there. And in that diner, boy, it serves the best pancakes that you could ever imagine. The best pancakes on this side of the hemisphere. And if you walk in there, not only are you going to get fantastic pancakes, but you're going to end up having a conversation with the servers in there. You're going to end up having a conversation with people who who dine in this place day in and day out. And as you're there, the the pancakes are going to be really, really good. But the conversation, the people that you're going to get to meet are going to be some of the best people that you'll ever meet in your life. Take the time to get to know them. And so what Paul does here is he takes 12 verses and he says, I want you to slow down. I want you to see what we've been talking about. I want you to see it. I want you to experience it. I want you to fall in love with it. And once you've seen it in action, I want you to begin doing exactly what you see these guys doing. And so he slows us down and says, take a look at this. See, it's one thing to know that there's a town there, right? You know, you know you're coming up on town. You know you're going 70 miles an hour. It's one thing to know that it's there. And, and, and then it's a whole nother thing to slow down long enough to spend time there. It's a whole other thing to say, you know what? I'm not worried about just getting from point A to point B as fast as I can go. It's one thing to know that it's there. It's another thing to stop and see what's the goodness of this place. See, we live in such a a fast-paced culture, a a fast-paced society, where we're constantly in this danger of of filling our minds with knowledge, right? Filling our minds with knowledge and truths that are intended, even in the church culture, that's intended to, to set us free. Knowledge is intended to set us free to live. The knowledge is set us, to set us free to worship, to, to live free, to have this mindset of, man, I, have, I am free to experience the love of God and the freedom that he's given me through Jesus in this day-to-day living. And it's one thing for us to know this. It's a whole nother perspective for us to, you know, slow down long enough to let those truths become a part of our everyday life. And if we just are always concerned about getting from point A to point B, we won't slow down long enough to see what's the goodness that God has called my everyday life to be? What's the greatness in living in this day-to-day life? And what happens is we end up missing this beautiful relationship with the Father. We end up missing this uh, this ability to live available for the Holy Spirit to say, I'm gonna go where you want me to go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be where you want me to stay. I'm gonna have a conversation with somebody that you want me to have a conversation. We miss this opportunity. We're always worried about just moving from A to B. This knowledge that's in our head stays in our head and it never gets lived out in our lives see Jesus intends for the stuff that he's called us to in this normal everyday life to be a part of our normal everyday life and it's not the stuff that that our culture or our society say wow man that's great It's not the stuff that that our culture will look at, or even us in our Christian circles would say, man, that is what greatness looks like. It's not usually the stuff that that you say, man, sign me up for that. I want that. I will give my life to that. It's the normal stuff. It's the day in, and it's the day out stuff. It's the normal everyday life of of a believer. Um, There's a a theologian and a a pastor and a a great writer and defender of the faith um, by the name of D.A. Carson that you may know. Uh, and, and, he, and he said uh, one time, he said that much of the Christian character much of the Christian life and how we live and how we live as citizens of heaven, much of Christian character is as much caught as it is taught. That is that it's picked up by constant association with mature Christians. It's just like being around other believers, seeing how other believers act, assuming you're around people that are following and living out the Christian faith, right? He said it's not about more head knowledge. It's about watching and living and being around people who are living this out uh, as well. And so he says the Christian Christian faith or the, the how to live as a believer is just as much caught as it is taught. And so in this passage, what Paul does is he's going to slow us down here. And he's actually, he's not, he's not going to teach us anything new. But there is nothing new about Jesus There's nothing new about the Old Testament. There's even nothing new about what's going to come in the future. There's nothing new in these 12 verses. Paul slams the brakes long enough for us to see what does this look like to be lived out. And so what he does, he takes this man named Timothy, and he takes another man named Epaphroditus, and he places them up as examples of everything that he's been talking about. He says, we've been going fast for 70 miles an hour. We've been going for like 60 miles. I've been laying a lot down and so I'm going to stop and I want you to catch what these guys are doing. So I want to, I want you to see what it is to live this out. I want you to catch what they're doing. I want you to replicate it. I want you to pick up what they're laying down. So if you've got your Bibles, again, we're in Philippians chapter 2. If you're new to your Bibles, you can head somewhere in the middle and just go a little bit further to the right. You'll go past the Gospels. You'll go past Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then after the Gospels, you'll bump into uh, Acts. And then after Acts, uh, you'll get into Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Those are uh, some of the longer letters that Paul will write. And then right after that, you're going to um, bump into the smaller little epistles, the letters that's going to be Galatians, Ephesians, and then you've got Philippians uh, right there and that's a letter that we're going to be talking about we put this, this silly little slide up here because we want you to know your Bibles we're not just we're not just talking about it we want you to know scripture like some of you like you'll come in you'll be like man I don't, I don't, I don't want to open up my Bible because I, like, I don't want people to look at me like I don't know where things are listen to me 95% of the people sitting around you don't know where it's at either Especially if you go into one of the minor prophets. They're going to be looking around. I don't even know if that's in there or not. And so, so don't be afraid to bring in Scripture because you're afraid that somebody's going to look at you crazy because you can't find it, right? And, and so bring your Bibles. Let's dig in uh, together. We're in Philippians chapter 2. We're looking at verse 19. And what we're going to do is we're going to read all the way through this, right? Then as we read through it, we're going to, just as we were sitting in our living room or in our closet or whatever it is that you read your scripture, we're going to sit down as if we were spending time with the Lord on our own, and we're going to make some observations. And as we make some observations, we're going to hopefully turn those into applications by the end of our time together. Sound good? Okay. Here we go. Shane, I'm watching you. Okay. All right. Verse 19. I'm going to read all the way through. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to contemplate or to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Would you pray with me? Father, these are your words. These are not my words. And if these words are going to get applied to our lives today, it's going, to be, it's going to have to be through your Holy Spirit that does that work. And so I'm going to talk and I'm going to share some things, but Lord, I pray that you would make the truth stick in the hearts of the people who are in this room right now. Would you guide us through your word and through these words, and Father, would you change us as a result, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, Paul's in prison, right? Paul's in prison in Rome. He's been there for a little while. He has no idea when he's going to be getting out of prison in Rome. He has every expectation and hope that he is going to be getting out of Rome. There's something inside of him that says, hey, you're going to be getting out of here sooner or later. There's this confidence in him. And when he gets out, he definitely wants to go and he wants to visit his brothers and sisters in Christ, his friends that are in the church in Philippi. That's his heart's desire. But while he's waiting there in prison, he wants to send uh, some people back to the church in Philippi. He wants them to know what his heart is. He wants to encourage them as well. And so he takes this man named Timothy and he takes another man named Epaphroditus and says I can't come but I'm going to send the best that I have back to you so that you can hear from them. But what makes these guys so special that Paul would actually choose Timothy and Epaphroditus? What stands out uh, about these guys? Uh, Well, let's start with Timothy, right? Uh, it, and here's where we have a bit of the rub, because of what Paul points out in these guys' lives. Again, it's not the thing that we would normally say, "I want that." It's not the thing. Like we have this rub between the Christian culture, our little Christian circles, in the areas that we think are great, and those who can be great in service, and, and and even in the culture as well. We've got this cultural rub that we say, "This is what greatness looks like. This is what you should live for. This is what you should attain. This is by the end of your life. This should have be this should be your story." And that often stands. in, in contrast to what God Himself says is true greatness. And so the thing that 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 Paul points out in Timothy and Epaphroditus that is like actual true greatness in the eyes of God, some of us might sit here and be like, eh. I could do that. Yes, that's the point, right? That we can do what Paul is getting ready to point out here, okay? So look at what Paul points out in Timothy here. And if you've got your pen or your highlighter, I I would suggest that you use it in this moment to look at these characteristics in verse 20. He says, I've got no one like him. Speaking of Timothy here. I have no one like him. Well, why don't you have anybody like him? What makes him so different that nobody else can actually be like Well, let's keep reading here, verse 20. He says, He's genuinely concerned for your welfare. Now, he cares about people. If you're, if you're writing notes in your margins or on a piece of paper, like, you would probably want to write down something about Timothy here and then even ask your question. Like, if, if you were to fit yourself into this story, like, do you fit? Like, is there anything that's standing out about you that, that Paul would say, yes, this is, this is what makes him like nobody else. This is what makes her like nobody else. Timothy has a genuine concern for other people. He's not just concerned about his own interest, but he's also concerned about those around him as well. See, it's almost like Paul is sitting in his prison, is sitting in his house arrest, and he's looking around. He's looking at all the people who have come to Christ, right? Because the gospel has been advancing while he's been in prison, right? He's been sharing the gospel with people, and the news has been going out. And so there are new believers, there are new Christians that are around him. And it's almost like he's looking out at the prospects that are here. He's like, I don't have anybody in here who can do what these men can. I don't have Anybody in here like Timothy, and he ties it back to chapter one, verse seventeen, right? Because there were some people who were out there who were sharing the gospel, but they weren't doing it out of uh, a good motive. It was all about them. They were doing it for a motive to benefit themselves. And, and Paul says they're they're preaching Jesus, but it's not for Jesus. It's so that they can be in the limelight. And later in chapter two, verses three and four. He says, don't do things out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider, consider others more significant than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but look out towards the interests of others as well. And it's almost like Paul is looking around and he says, Timothy is like nobody else here. Everybody else is concerned about their own thing. But Timothy, no guys, Timothy is different. He has his heart so set on Christ and his heart is so set on Christ that he loves him so much that the overflow of his life is actually, it's being reciprocated in your life that he loves you because he loves Christ and you are directly benefiting from the affection that he has for Christ. Now he has an affection for you, for you and your welfare. He cares about you. You ever had anybody in your life do you ever know anybody who just cares about you or cares about other people like no one else? Like they just really don't care about themselves so much so you're like, dude, like maybe you might need to start caring a little bit because like you're like you're emotionally and socially and your capacity like you are stretched thin. But they're like, no, that gives me joy. Like people who who have no desire to serve themselves and no desire to prop themselves up, but they are man. If you're sick, they're there. If you need encouragement, they're there. You got anybody in your life like that? These are, these are one in a million kind of people, aren't they? And in our culture, they stand out because everybody else in culture is swimming this way, saying, I'm for me, I'm for me, I'm for me, I'm to protect me and to protect mine. It's all about me. And then you've got this one fish who's swimming upstream that's going against it and saying, no, it's not about me, it's about other people. That's not about my own interests, it's about the interests of others. And when somebody in your life is living not for themselves and they're living for others, they stand out so much like a fish swimming upstream. And they, Paul says, this is the, the guy This is what Timothy is doing. He's swimming upstream. He cares about you. He's constantly looking out for other people. That's why Paul points him out. He's saying he's been living out these verses that I've already written you about. This part of this letter that I've already written you about. This is his heart. He cares about you. Well, let's look at verse 22. What else makes him stand out um, as something special? So again, remember, this isn't anything that you would write home about. But this is what normal, daily, Christian life looks like. Verse 22, Paul says, you know Timothy's proven worth. The word proven worth there um, that, that Paul uses, it's this idea It refers to uh, the character of somebody who's kind of gone through a really hard time who's walked through some direct hardships and, and they've been faithful all through the end. Of, they've got a, There's this grit that you walk through. Like, you, if you walk, like if you've walked through chemo, if you've walked through some hardships in your life, if you've lost someone in your life, if you've gone through some things that nobody, like there's a grit about you that people just don't understand. There's this, there's this man, you, there's a medal where you've been tested through fire and you've come out on the other end. Paul is saying there's this proven worth and character and this grit that Timothy has that just sticks out and not only does he have grit, he is stuck to me like a son sticks to his father. And he this is one of my favorite images in all of Scripture in, in this passage, but all throughout scripture, just this this son and this father motif. And if you're not, if you're not a, a, a father or if you're a mother in here, like it doesn't, it doesn't diminish you at all. This is still this connection, right? This is wherever my dad goes, I'm there. If daddy's over here working on something with his hands, like I'm there, I'm going to be a shadow. And then if he chooses to get away from that and he comes over here and he's working on the wheel of the car, or he's working on building code for this program, like I'm right there, I'm right by his side this is this beautiful picture, and what Paul is saying is, as I've been advancing the gospel, as I've been working, and and I've been pouring my life out, Timothy has been right there by my side. He's been right there in the thick with me, and there's this trusted, proven metal. See, uh, Paul, um, in, in Acts 16, is the first time that Paul ever bumps into Timothy. He, he's on his second missionary journey, and as they're hanging out there, uh, he, he meets Timothy, and he sees the faithfulness of Timothy, and he says, hey, why don't you come with me? We're gonna, let's, go, let's go do mission together. Let's go talk about Jesus from, from town to town, city to city, country to country. Come with me. And so Timothy says, cool, I'll come with you. And so he does. And they they walk through hardships together. They walk through persecution together. They're on the edge of their life together. And Paul says, he's been by my side. Like a son sticks to his father. He's been tested through the fire. And he says, you know how valuable he is. His interest is for Jesus. And his affections are for you. To benefit you. Not himself. He's proved it over and over and over again he says, I hope to send him to you soon. But Paul can't send him to him because he doesn't know when he's going to get out of prison. He says, he's been really, really faithful to me. He's helped me in so many different ways. And so when I find out what's going to happen about me here in prison, then I'm going to send him to you. And so what he's doing, he's propping up Timothy and saying, this is him. Right, This is who he is. He's somebody who doesn't look out for himself. And he will, he will go through a, what we would perceive a, a hell and back for you to make sure that you are encouraged, to make sure that you're not alone. His affection is for Jesus. And to serve you, and by serving you, to serve the body of Christ. But I'm not sending him yet. And in his stead, I'm going to send you, in verse 25, Epaphroditus. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Now here again, he's he's done talking about Timothy. And now he's going to start talking about Epaphroditus. He says, I've been going 70 miles an hour, I've been getting so fast, but I'm going to slow down. I want you to see not only Timothy's example, the goodness of his life, but I want you to slow down long enough to see the goodness of how Epaphroditus has now lived his life as as well. See. Epaphroditus had. Uh, you'll learn later in or in Philippians uh, chapter four when we get there that the church actually sent Epaphroditus to go serve Paul's needs there in uh, in Rome. Um, see he was sent to bring money and encouragement uh, to Paul. And uh, the, the, the prison that Paul was in in Rome, it's not modern-day prison, okay? It's not it's, it's not American jail. It's not American prison. It's not three hots in a cot. That's just not his exp- that's not experience. He doesn't get meals. There's, there's, no, there's no rec time. There's no cafeteria time where, where you get breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like, if you're going to eat, somebody's got to bring you food a friend's got to bring you food. If you're going to eat, a family member's got to bring you food. Or they've got to bring you money so that you can buy food. They're not providing that for you. And so the church back in Philippi, they said, we've got you covered. And so they sent Epaphroditus to meet those needs and said, here's money for you so that you can eat and here's an encouraging word back from the church. And so Epaphroditus was sent to do that. This is where, this is like like the church in Philippi was saying, we're going to support the missionaries that we send out. We're going to take care of those who are out on the field, who are out doing the ministry. That's why at Riverview, like we've got this strong sense that if, if there are missionaries out on the field that we partner with, we want to make sure that we're trying as best as we can to care for them because as they're there, we don't want them concerned about, like, the care, like how am I going to eat today? We want to, like, put money forward so we, they know. Like, hey, we've got your back. We've got you covered. You just do the work. You advance the gospel, and we are partnering with you on this side. The, the church in Philippi said, Paul, we've got your back, and they sent Epaphroditus to do it. But while he was there... Or while he was on his way there, he got sick. He got, it wasn't a cold. It wasn't the flu. And some people, some commentators think that he was just homesick, right? That <laughs> like he was just being, being a baby, right? Like, like, like he got tired of not being back with his family and his friends. And so while he was so far away, he was so sick that like he was getting ready to go. But it, that's not the case because Paul says that he was on the edge of death. Like he literally almost died. I don't know if you've ever almost died because of being homesick. Anybody? Like you go to camp and you're like, oh, I want to come home and, and I miss you guys. You didn't die, did you? No, nobody dies from being homesick. That's not what's going on here. Paul says that he literally almost died. He was on his death, but it's almost like Epaphroditus is coming from the church in Philippi, and he's got money in his hand. He's reaching out to Paul. He's like, I've got your money, Paul, so you can eat. And so if you ever get out of prison, you can go do ministry. And then you're almost left with this idea that he's breathing his last breath right there in front of Paul, but he doesn't die. He doesn't die. Paul's intent is to send him back to the church in uh, Philippi. And, but look real quick about the greatness of Epaphroditus, a thing that Paul points out. Again, if you've got your pen or your highlighter, I think you're going to want to mark these characteristics in verse 25. He calls him a, a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier. These were, this is how Paul looked at Epaphroditus. This is what he was to, to him. As a, uh, as a brother, he understood that they were united in purpose and united in plan. That he was a part of something bigger than, than himself. So he had, in order for him to call him brother, he had fully adopted the idea of being a citizen of the kingdom. A citizen of heaven. So much so that he was willing to say, you know what? You are a brother in Christ to me. So he calls him a brother as a fellow uh, worker, as a, this is a co-laborer, somebody who's labored beside of him advancing the gospel. It's not somebody who's just sat on their hands doing nothing. He's entered into faithful work with Paul. Now, we know when Paul met Timothy. We have zero clue of when Paul met Epaphroditus because Scripture just doesn't tell us that. We just know that the way that he refers to him is that he has been a faithful co-laborer, faithful worker beside of him. So much so that he would call him a fellow soldier as well. This is who he's been to. him. He's been on the front lines with him, advancing the gospel, standing firm for the truths of the gospel so that people might get saved. And even more than that, this is who he's been to him. Look at verse 25. This is, this is the, who he's been as a representative for the church in Philippi. It says, he was your messenger. Like, you sent him to me to talk to, to me about what's going on back at the church. And he was your minister to meet the needs that I had here in prison. See, Epaphroditus, he brought word back from the church in Philippi about how the church was doing. That's the way Paul operated. When, when Paul was... Um, Dealing with the churches. Like, he wanted to know, like, what's the situation that's going on there? How are people growing? What's going on there? And uh, apparently, Epaphroditus brings uh, Paul this uh, description that, guys, hey, you know what? There's a fight that's going on. There's not a whole lot of unity that's happening. There's a fight, and it's actually between two ladies, Yudi and Syntyche. We'll see that in in Philippians 4 in just a couple weeks. That these two ladies are fighting with one another, and Paul will later say, knock it off. Tell them to get along with one another. And then he gets an update on, on Roger and Bill and Sophie and Sonia. And so like he was bringing him, he was the messenger of the church to them. I know Roger wasn't there, okay? I know Sophie wasn't there. The names are easier. But he also is the minister to Paul's need. He was bringing him money and he was bringing him encouragement, the gift and the donation um, that he'll refer to later in uh, chapter 4 again. In all of this he says he risks his life in order to do it. He risks his life. Look at how Paul talks about it in verse twenty-six. This angst to which Epaphroditus was living in, for he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He's like he's wigged out. He's sad because you heard that he was sad, or he heard that you were that, that you heard that he was sick, and because he's sick, like he, he's afraid that he's becoming a burden on you now. Indeed, he was ill near death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. This is Paul's humanity living out, right? He's going to talk about being anxious. and But here, like, he's like, man, I, like, I, I was at this point of, I didn't know if he was going to die and if he died, like my heart would be broken, bro. Like I, I wouldn't know what to do with those emotions. And, and so he says, God's not only spared Epaphroditus from dying, but he spared my emotions from him dying as well. He had mercy on both of us. I'm the more eager to send him now. Therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious to receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of Christ. Risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And what was lacking in service was the fact that, they, that he needed the money. He needed the money to be able to continue to move. He needed money to be able to eat. And what was lacking in service to him was that they just weren't physically present with him. And so Epaphroditus became the physical presence of the church in Philippi for them to encourage him. And so what can happen with Epaphroditus is right like, like there's this emotional aspect of us as, as human beings. And Epaphroditus had been sent by the church to be an encouragement to Paul, but he gets sick, <clears throat> and so he can begin to, to beat himself up, and he can begin to feel afraid that the church is going to beat him up, and I think Paul is a little concerned about him when he sends him back, right? And so he's thinking, like, man, I, I was sent here to serve you, but I got sick, and now instead of helping you, I've actually become a burden to you, so much so that you're like like now you're sending me back, and so on his way back, knowing that the church could be kind of like getting the, into this this emotional bit like, well, he was just homesick and he was being a baby about this thing and so he'll come on back here and like get gi- like kind of jeered when he gets back into the church or gets back into Philippi. Paul squelches that before it ever even happens, right? He, he says, listen to me, I want you to know, like he was a faithful servant here, so much so that he almost died for the work of Christ. He wasn't just here sloughing off. Like, he almost died for the work of Christ that he was doing over here. See, in in Philippians 2, Paul talks about how Jesus pours his life, right? That he, he exits out of heaven, pours himself into humanity so that he could give his life up, so that he would die. And what Paul is saying here, he's like, This is what Jesus did. Epaphroditus has been like Jesus to us. Now, now he didn't give up his life for us, but he was willing to lay down his life like this for us. And so when I send him back to you, don't beat him up that I have to send him back to you. Know that he was a faithful servant to me. Welcome him back with open arms and don't ride him like that. He's actually, here's what I want you to do, welcome him back in honor Men like this, is what Paul says. Honor servants like this. People who would actually get to the point where like he was working himself to death. He was almost dead there. This is why Epaphroditus gets highlighted by Paul. Because he did not consider his life his own. But he was willing to live as a brother united in purpose as a fellow servant, not sitting on his hand, but engaged in the mission of the church and a fellow and a a fellow soldier who was dug in, standing firm, advancing the gospel together with Paul. And this was part of his everyday life. It's part of who he was. And this is the kind of stuff that doesn't really stand out for us in our culture. But Paul is saying, this is what the normal everyday life of a believer looks like. Normal everyday life of a believer isn't going 70 miles an hour as fast as you can just getting from point A to point B. Normal everyday life of a believer is lived better at 30 miles an hour, faithfully loving others, faithfully serving others, setting aside our own interests, engaging in the interests and in the lives of others. Kenny, okay, it's like if I had $1,000, right? I don't, by the way. But if I had $1,000 and I gave it to you, You'd be like, great, Anthony. Where'd you steal this from? I'd be like, I didn't steal from anywhere. Like, I found it somewhere. Here it is. Here's $1,000. And you've got a choice to make, right? You can spend it any way you want. You can choose to, to uh, spend it on one item, or you can choose to just kind of use it over, uh, over a period of time. Like, I'll spend a little here. I'll spend a little here. Whenever I see the need. What Paul is saying here is, right, it, the Christian life isn't here's $1,000, and you blow it all in one place. The Christian life is lived out day by day, 25 cents at a time. A nickel at a time. A dime at a time. Little by little, faithful service over the long haul. Things that most people wouldn't say, like, wow, sign me up for that. But it's the daily service, the daily obedience, it's the living connected to Him. See, there's a thread that went through both of these men's life. They had stepped into the kingdom of God. They had became citizens of the kingdom. And they allowed that to impact their behavior and the way that they lived in their everyday life life. And, and so what's that mean for us, right? Like these words, of, these words were to, to the Philippians, but how has God preserved that for us? for us to live this out today. Because we're, just like the Philippians, I think like, we're in danger uh, of filling our heads with all this knowledge and all this theology. And, and, and like we, we understand who Jesus is and we understand about his kingdom and we understand about how we're supposed to live and operate and we can lock this into our mind. But we can be so fixated on getting from point A to point B and, and just totally forget and just fly past that this is supposed to be a part of our, our normal everyday life and letting this stuff change us. And So how do we allow this to to, for ourselves to not become a victim of just kind of blazing by A to B and letting this change our life. I think we do what D.A. Carson said. And we look at the life of Timothy and Epaphroditus. And, and instead of just letting it fill our minds with more knowledge, that we try to catch what was being taught. That we try to look at their example and begin to replicate what these guys were doing. To follow their example. To live this ordinary life day in and day out. Faith today, 25 cents here, 25 cents there. Living out this life in the everyday small moments of our lives. And so we ask this question. Does my day-to-day life look any different than when I started? Does my day-to-day life look any different? Am I letting the truths that I'm hearing, letting the truths that I'm studying, letting the truths that, that have been working themselves into me, am I letting those truths of God are sink down into my heart and to actually change my behavior? Now We, we tend to have this, uh, this mode of uh, behavior modification that I can pull myself up by my bootstraps, I can make myself better, that I can do all this on my own, separated from a deep connection with Jesus. But what happens is, at the end of the day, it's just behavior modification. We will settle back in to normal if he's not in control of our lives, if we're not yielding ourselves to being controlled by the spirit and so we ask the question, am I allowing the truths of God to work down in me and to sink down in so much that that's what motivates me not just motivated because I've got people around me. Not just motivated because I'm supposed to look good or because I'm going to church. But motivated by the change that he's doing inside of me. We were sitting in our teaching team um, meeting this, uh, this week. And I- I've told them and I've told you I think a thousand times that that's one of my favorite parts of my week is sitting down and just grappling over text together. Sinking in and digging in uh, together. But while we were, while we were together, um, my uh, beautifully um, brilliant bride... Uh, said these words, and I want to give you the the quote. She said, our compassion for people and our commitment to change, it has to start with a captivation of Christ. I'm going to say that again because we all need to hear it again. Our compassion for people and our commitment to change has to start with a captivation to Christ. If there's ever going to be any sustained life change in our world, it's not going to be because we bootstrapped up. It's not going to be because we've mustered up the ability to do this. It's going to be because the Spirit of God that's at work and living inside of us, who's doing the work through us. See, when we got saved... When you gave your life to Jesus, He put His Spirit inside of you. And that Spirit isn't just there to, just to take up space. The Spirit is there for you to yield to and to be available to for Him to lead and to guide. And the more space that we give Him to lead and to guide us, the more that we have this commitment to change, the more we're allowing Him to change us, to change our behaviors, to change our attitudes, to change our minds, the more that we become captivated with Christ, the more love that we have for the people that He's called us to. He's put His Spirit inside of you and me so that we can live this normal, everyday Christian life, not at 70 miles an hour, but at 30 miles an hour 25 cents at a time a dime at a time, living in connection and proximity to him that's how he changes us, and one of the main ways that he does that is through his word, through his truth inside of us, and so for us, the normal daily Christian life it can't be lived without scripture in front of us it can't be lived without our word, the word of the Lord ever seeing our eyes or ever landing on our ears. And so for us, Scripture is non-negotiable. Scripture for us is foundational, and so it can't be optional. And through His truth that's found in His word, the Lord leads us to love Him, to love His mission, and to love His people. And so for us, 30 miles an hour starts to look like slowing down and seeing the people around us. 30 miles an hour starts to look like us being available when people need an ear to hear what they're walking through. 30 miles an hour begins to look like us lending a hand when somebody needs a hand. 30 miles an hour is us serving people without grumbling like James talked about last week. 30 miles an hour is um, us getting a handle on how we conduct ourselves responsibly on social media. Yikes, huh? 30 miles an hour looks like us being approachable. 30 miles an hour is us speaking the truth in love. 30 miles an hour is is us shaking the cultural trend towards isolation and embracing the community of faith and growing together. 30 miles an hour is uh, us being available to pray for people when they ask and when they don't ask, looking to see the need that's around us. 30 miles an hour is us seeing the needs that are around us and meeting those needs with the resources that God has given us. Some of you are so blessed financially. And for you to hold that, and to, it would be irresponsible to not use it for the kingdom of God in some capacity. Some of you are so gifted in ways of service and so gifted in ways, and, and for you to hold on to that and not use that for the benefit of the kingdom of God would be irresponsible with that gift. God wants to use the gifts that he's given you, the resources that he's given you to meet the needs that he makes present around you. So 30 miles an hour is us allowing the Lord to use our gifts to meet the need that we see around us. 30 miles an hour is inviting the lonely widow or the widower over for dinner. 30 miles an hour is babysitting for the mom or the dad or the family who just needs a break. 30 miles an hour is fostering a kid who needs a stable environment to live in and to grow up in. 30 miles an hour is it's adopting somebody here locally who needs a mom and a dad or adopting somebody across the water who needs a mom and a dad and a forever family to give stability and to give the hope of life and the hope of Jesus to. 30 miles an hour is a servant at a shelter. 30 miles an hour is coming alongside some kid and mentoring a kid. 30 miles an hour is us sitting in and saying, you know what, my race is not yet run. It's not complete. I'm not done with this. And so you come alongside of a young believer and you help mentor them, you help disciple them so that they know who Jesus is. The real Jesus, not the show up on Sunday Jesus. The real Jesus who, who is invested in your life and the one who's, and the one who is growing in you and the one who wants to grow in them and wants them to live this normal, everyday, real Christian life. So you come alongside of him, and that's what 30 miles an hour looks like. This is daily ordinary faith lived out 30 miles an hour, 25 cents at a time, a nickel here, a dime there. This is what greatness in the kingdom of God looks like. Daily living out the call that He's given us. It's greatness in the kingdom of God. And so we slow down. We slow down and we enjoy the community that he dropped us into. It's not A to B. I can't imagine what this looks like if we start living this out, right? I think this makes our homes look different. I think it makes the relationships we have with our kids. If we had kids look different, I think it impacts the investments that we have. I think it impacts um, the way that we uh, spend our time and the things that we invest our time on, things that have eternal weight and value. I I just can't imagine, like, if we embrace this idea that I'm called to live a normal, like, greatness doesn't look like... One investment, and then I'm done. Greatness in the kingdom of God is day by day, normal, living. Timothy, Epaphroditus, that's what we're called to. And Paul says, slow down and example your life off these men.